Do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. Coming down. In three, two, and one. Ooh, you got it yourself this time. Okay, welcome once again to 32 Thoughts, the podcast. In what has become an annual tradition here, Elliot, we're going to go through all the teams in the NHL in advance of the season. But first, some thank yous at In Season Cup. First of all, actually, before we do that, thanks to Carolyn Cameron and David Amber for stopping by and doing our In Season Cup podcast the other day. Don't thank them again. We already thanked them. I'm trying to be gracious here, okay? I know that's a foreign concept to you, Elliot, but being gracious... Uh, is something that people find commendable. So I'm being gracious to Carolyn Cameron and David Amber for stopping by. I'm also being gracious and thankful for at in-season cup. Uh, Elliot, this is a grade four and five class that have actually taken this, your premise of an in-season Stanley Cup pool and are actually using it as a quasi-math project. And essentially, and this is why I'd like to thank them myself, doing all of our tracking work for us. Yes. Like... The way that they've laid it out, too, looks really good. Like, there's some really significant and serious thought put into this. And they've grabbed a lot of the animation from Nils Britz, who does the animation for Hey Berkey. So, thank you. All right. So, the uh, the school is Gladys Spears Public School in Oakville, Ontario. I've asked if we can post a photo of the class. Of course, in this day and age, you need permission teachers, students, and their parents, and that's all being worked on. But at some point, we're going to do it. Just wanted to echo Jeff and say thank you very much. Now, first of all, I was blown away by the reaction to this, the amount of you who want to do a pool of your own, and I think it's great. The whole point of doing this is to have fun, and I hope everybody has fun. But you guys had really good questions, and the obvious ones was, What happens over the All-Star break, the Olympic break, and the Christmas break? And the way it works is those days don't count. Like, I think there's a big difference between a game where there's nobody playing, but it's in the flow of play, and one of those specific breaks. So you don't count the days during those breaks. That's the way we always did it in high school. I have a question. Yeah. I thought of this on my way back from the rink this afternoon. I know this is going to really annoy me. Okay. Yeah. This is going to be good. Yeah. Okay. What if a team that has the cup Mm -hmm. has an outbreak and their games are postponed? Oh, uh, you know what? We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. (laughs) I even thought about that one. That was my thought du jour. Anything else from the in-season cup? That's my you know, only you know what the worst today. thing about this is? What if it's like <laughs> last year and there's games going on while the playoffs are going on? Oh, my head's going to explode. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But basically, the breaks don't count. Folks, I think that might be Elliot Friedman Carney for if I'm in the lead, the days count. No, no, I wouldn't do that. Like I know I look dishonest, but I'm actually pretty honest. <laughs> Okay, so there we go. We have a lot to get to. And by the way, we're dividing this podcast up into two easily digestible podcasts. So we'll start with the first one. First one's going to be Eastern Conference. Second's going to be Western Conference. I know there's a couple of big news stories out there. The Olevi trade, we're going to get to that when we talk about Vancouver. Uh, the Barkoff signing, get to that when we talk about Florida. Zabinajad, when we get to the Rangers, we will talk about that deal as well. Meantime, start in the Metro. Start with Carolina. Uh, the Kakanyemi situation, enter Derek Stepan, Bear, Cole, Anderson, Ranta, out Hamilton, out Fogle. Your thoughts on the Carolina Hurricanes in the Metropolitan? I like Carolina a lot. I think they're a really good team. I'm not sure about the goaltending. That's the one thing I look at there and you know I, I just wonder about. 
is their goaltending going to be good enough? I think the rest of the team is really good. I think they're going to be an excellent regular season team. They made a call on Nadelkovich, and I think Carolina is very much like that. I think it fits to their identity. We assign you a value, and we don't go over that value. But now they have a situation with uh, Ronta, who they've liked for quite a long time, and Anderson. You know, again, I I just look at that and I say, when this is all going to be over, is that going to be the Achilles heel that gets them again? I like their team, though. I really do. Goaltending has been the question we've asked though about the Carolina Hurricanes for a number of years. I don't think that's exclusive to these two, just because they're the two quote-unquote new guys. Columbus Blue Jackets. Inter Voracek. Inter Corrali. Gustav Nyquist mm-hmm. returns. A couple of rookies in. Cole Sillinger, Igor Chinnikov, Jake Bean, Adam Bokfist on the back end. What do you make of Brad Larson's squad? Well, I think they're going to be better than a lot of us are giving credit for. I think this is a team that's going to be in a lot of games. I really like the goalie combination of Merzlikens and Corpusalo. I think a lot of people are expecting that this will be Corpusalo's last season in Columbus. But I think those two guys are good goalies. Even though it's Tortorella's not there, you know, Brad Larson, he's not Tortorella, but he's got a similar attitude in the sense that he believes that hard work and your willingness to grind is critical to your team right so I think that maybe they don't have the same head coach but they've got a a guy who believes in a similar kind of identity And and I think a lot of the players who've been there for a while or who've been in the system I think will understand that you know, I just don't know if they're as deep as other teams. You know, I'm not crazy about them down the middle. I'm really curious about what they're going to do with Sillinger here. It's like, is he going to be their number one center to start the season? To me, one of the biggest things is Liney. I mean, we saw that beautiful goal. He undressed everybody's young stud D cider the other night when they played Detroit. If Liney is back to being Liney, that's a huge difference maker for this team. I think they've got holes. I don't think they're a playoff team, but I do think they're going to be a lot better than they're getting credit for. I think they're going to give teams fits. I'm with you down the middle. On the one hand, hey, it's wonderful that an 18-year-old just made the Columbus Blue Jackets, um, but what business do they have having an 18-year-old first-line center uh, with the Columbus Blue Jackets, you know, drafted 12th overall, but he had a wonderful camp. He looked really good. Chinnikov yeah. uh, looked really good. Remember, remember we talked to Bob Hartley about Chinnikov? And he was laughing at us. And he was laughing at us, and he gets the last laugh because Chinnikov just made the team. One thing I do want to point out, too, is how good Voracek has been yeah. in the preseason, specifically with Patrick Laine. And I've sort of equated to a, even though they, they're both wingers and they play the opposite sides of the ice as you line up for the faceoff, this kind of feels like Kane Panarin to me. That they are, you know, normally everything goes through the center, but these two wingers are complementing themselves, the likes of which we haven't seen since that battery in Chicago. Don't know if it's going to last the entire season. We've seen Line A go into the ditch before, ditto for Voracek. But right yes. now, it looks really, really good for each. Those two together. Like, to me, it's about pride. Like, when Sportsnet fires me, I'm going to the next place and I'm going to show them that they made a big mistake, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I think last year... The whole Line Dubois thing was both of those guys have a new lease on life. And, you know, in Philly, they basically said we got rid of all the guys that we just didn't think fit here anymore. 
And if you're Voracek, you know that means you. Yep. So what are you going to do about that? Like, what are you going to do to say, look, I know that they're saying I was one of the guys that was a problem. Like, if it was me, there's only one thing you do. And that is and you go out and you try to shove it up there. Like, to me, that's powerful motivation. And I've got to think for Voracek, that's going to be that way too. New Jersey Devils. Uh, Dougie Hamilton in. Ryan Graves in. Tomas Tatar in. We hope for health for everybody, specifically that forward unit that's been dinged up before. Hello, Nico Heischer. Uh, another season of development for Jack Hughes. And there is the Mackenzie Blackwood situation. Looks like now he's edging closer to getting the jab. What do you make of the New Jersey Devils? Right before camp, we had this situation before. He had an appointment and he changed his mind. So we'll see where this goes. I do have to wonder if in addition to you know, we talked about this on the radio the other day. If a team was depending on me as much as a team was depending on Blackwood, it would be hard for me not to do it. I just don't think I could. The other thing I'm wondering about here, Jeff, is the uh, the Olympics. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's talking about him as a number three potentially for Canada. It's not the case if he's not vaccinated. So there's a lot of reasons professionally, both for his team and for his own personal goals for him to do this. Let's see where it goes. I think Jack Hughes is going to have a big year. I think New Jersey is is like Columbus. I think they have a chance to be better than a lot of us are expecting. Like all of a sudden, like I'm looking at Pittsburgh and I'm looking at Washington and I'm seeing some of the injuries and I'm saying, you know, what if New Jersey can come out of the gate hot? What if Columbus can come out of the gate hot? You know, what's that going to mean? And, and, and I think this Jersey team... I think they have to start great. I think if they start great, I'm really curious to see where they're going to be like at the All-Star Olympic break. I like the Devils too. Don't know that I like them as a playoff team quite yet, but as far as taking the next step, it seems to all be there right now for the Devils. And to your point, if everything comes together and Dougie Hamilton, who's you know always in the conversation for the Norris, has a big year. Ty Smith, who I think we both love, takes another step uh, in his career. I know you like Siegenthaler a lot. Um, there's another young defenseman. You mentioned Hughes. You mentioned Nico Hischer. They could surprise. My big question about them is depth scoring. Yeah. After your top six, where is your production coming from with the New Jersey Devils? You know who I think is going to have a big year? Is going to be Subban. Listen, last year of the contract. It's a contract year. Last year of the contract. And I'm not saying that to say that he's just a guy who'll suddenly wake up at the end of a contract, but we know what a contract year does to people. Yep. And uh, I think he'll, you know, I think he'll be very motivated. I do. Jimmy VC signing. Quick thought on that one. Well, you know, first of all, did you see his tweet to me today? Hilarious. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I I have to say, you know, first of all, it's funny. I, I was having a conversation with someone about the the whole thing in um in in the Amazon video where in these things somebody's always made to look bad, right? Yeah. And in this piece, you know, he's kind of that guy with Keefe and, and later Dubas when he's put on waivers. And someone said to me today that when they saw him put that tweet out there, like, first of all, they sent me a note, like, does that bother you? And I said, no, I thought it was hilarious. And, you know, they said to me, good for him for doing that because there's going to be people who saw that Amazon series and then saw that tweet and they're going to think about him a little differently. Yeah. And this was a person who thought that VC got kind of unfairly maligned because, you know, it didn't work out for him and you get caught in that. 
And they said that they were very happy to see him do that because if that makes someone feel a little bit better about him, that's a big win for VC. I laughed. I thought it was great. I thought I listen just because I know you and how it would you would have a laugh, and I think you actually retweeted it. Yeah, I did. Thought so. I sent him a note. I sent him a DM. I said, "Oof, uh, I'm really sorry about that." And he <laughs> laughed. He was really good. He was good. <laughs> Uh, okay. Good times. Uh, good times for the Islanders, uh, the past couple of seasons. Uh, I know they can't get past that Tampa hump, but nonetheless, they're poised for another big one. Uh, Anders Lee returns. Hello, Zach Parisi back with Lou Lamarillo and Zdeno Chara returns to where it all began for him in the NHL. Do you have a thought on the Islanders? I I really liked them. Obviously they were my first pick in the, uh, in-season Stanley cup. So obviously I'm all aboard the train. A couple people I was talking to, they said, you know, they don't think their D is really that good when you look at the six. And, you know, first of all, every team has a hole in this in the cap world. It's just like that. But my point on this is, is that I think that there's no team in the NHL that is better prepared to deal with their weaknesses because of the way they play systemically. Like that's a team that recognizes what its weaknesses are and they play in a way to minimize those weaknesses. So, you know, do I agree that maybe when you look at the six, it doesn't look perfect? Yes. Mm -hmm. But I would also say that because of the way they play, and I really like their goalies, you know, especially Sorokin, I think they're going to be fine. And I think that's the best team in the Metro division. We'll see where it ends up. But to me, they're the Metro winners at my start of the season. You know, there's a couple of things here with the Islanders. One... I love the first line. I think Barzell, Lee, Palmieri as a trio have all the makings of one of the best, the potential to be one of the best lines in the NHL period. And part of those lines you look at and you say like, hey man, the last two weeks, this was the best line in the NHL. So that's one that I love about the Islanders. The other thing, and there must've been, and I don't know this for a fact, but if Chris Chelios ever played with Zach Bogosian when he played his handful of games in Atlanta, that would have this one beaten because Chelios would have been 47 and Bogosian would have been 21. But I just love the idea of 44-year-old Zidane Chara playing with 21-year-old Noah Dobson. When's the last time you saw an age swing that large between defensive pairs? 44 and 21. Like I would have to think somewhere along the way, Chelios probably has the record. And the one that pops out is, I wonder if he did play with Bogosian. There must've been some on Detroit that were young that had that much of an age swing. But Chara Dobson, 44 and 21. I love it for each. And I love their goaltending too, but I think we all do. All right, from the, uh, the Islanders, we go to the Rangers and here's where we pause and talk about eight years Eight point five million dollars, and it's all bonuses, not unlike Alexander Barkov. Yeah, the Mika Zibanejad deal. Go. One of the things I heard was that the Rangers didn't want to go eight years, and so they kind of bent, and Zibanejad bent on the number. Uh, as you mentioned, it's a really bonus-heavy deal. It's buyout-proof. That's the risk for the Rangers: is that Zibanejad, who's a little bit older. They are taking the risk by doing a buyout-proof deal up until the time he's going to be about 37. So it's a challenge. I mean, there's no question about that. You know, the one thing I always think is if you're going to gamble, gamble on the guys you know. 
the Rangers' nose of Benajad. And I don't think that's insignificant. Mm-hmm. The other thing I think here is, and I heard this from a couple of people, Zubinijad is not the kind of guy who would have enjoyed going into the year unsigned. People said to me that he is the kind of guy who would say, you know what, I'm going to feel a lot better if I'm signed and I'll do what it takes to get signed. Hmm. And that is what obviously happened here. The Rangers have made it very clear in all their public comments that they are not in on Eichel. I kind of look at it this way. I think they were in. I think they collected the information. Like, there's been reports that Buffalo won't send Eichel East. I don't believe that. I do think their preference is to punt him as far away as they could. But, for example, if the Rangers came up with the best offer, I think they would have traded him there. However, I think the Rangers believed that their offer had to be X times better than the next best offer to get it done. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they ever got to a place where they were comfortable. And they know Zabinijad and they got it done. They got a big contract now with Zabinijad. There's a big contract sitting there with Artemi Panarin. Uh, There's a big contract sitting there with Jacob Truba. And there's a big contract on the horizon with Adam Fox. Yeah, that's going to be a big one. So it's going to be tight for them for a couple of years. Plus... Eventually, uh, Kako and, as you mentioned, Lafreniere, they're going to be on their second deals. I think it's going to be a really interesting time for them. We've talked about we're three years away from a growth in the cap, right? Yep. That's what everybody thinks. So it's going to be an interesting dance for them to see how they kind of fit this out. But the Rangers, they believe in stars. They've got a couple of them. They've got potentially more. We'll see where this goes. But I think at the end of the day, they just said it's hard to find top centers. They know Zabinajad, he's their guy. Okay, so here becomes the question. And I think the answer is yes, because this is all about, you know, the development of Alexi Lafreniere. This is about the development of Capo Caco. This is another year of Adam Fox and Keandre Miller and Ryan Lindgren. Let me ask you, Barkley Goodrow, Ryan Reeves, Sammy Blaze, we know they got tougher. Did they get better? Did you see them try to chase Subban around the ice the other night? Yeah, and Kreider finally got to him. So I'm watching this, and I do think the Subban Reeves thing was an accident. Subban doesn't injure people. What do you think? I just think it was sloppy. I don't think it was a deliberate attempt to injure. I just thought it was a sloppy play. Like it wasn't a slew foot. You know, there wasn't an arm over the chest to push down and then a sweeping of the leg. He just went into the corner and was sloppy, thinking nothing's going to happen here. That's how I looked at it. Listen, not a slight against P.K. Subban. People make sloppy plays all the time. I just looked at it and said, eh, that was a sloppy play, an accident that went awry. I don't think any of it was deliberate. I agree with that. I think sloppy is probably a better way to put it. I just don't think he tried to injure him at all. I mean, it's not something that Subban does. But I know some people thought that was over the top and unnecessary, to me, that's everything the Rangers wanted to see from their team this year. This year, Like, if Reeves played for the Islanders and that had happened, the Islanders would have chased Subban all over the ice, right? Yeah. Because that's who they are. And it's very clear that the Rangers thought that they were missing that last year, and I thought it was interesting that that's what they did that night on behalf of the guy who's supposed to do that for them. I think they are better, 
Anthony Stewart, what's one of Anthony's great lines? Are you a team or a club? Yep. So last year, it's clear the Rangers thought they were a club, not a team. And they're banking on, okay, everybody's a little, all their young players are a year better, and we've brought in some edge. And, you know, now we'll see. Like, will this attitude make us better? I am a big believer that attitude makes you better. And you know what? Like, if you come to work with a good attitude, and you are help your teammates and you try to elevate your teammates, you're going to be better. And I think the Rangers are banking on that too. We've talked a lot about the Philadelphia Flyers and their changes to their blue line. Ryan Ellis, Rasmus Ristolainen, Keith Yandel. Uh, we knew that Chuck Fletcher wanted to do something about the blue line after last season, and he did. We know that they need a better season from Carter Hart. I should have probably mentioned that first because that's the most important element. But as far as the Philadelphia Flyers go, without Kevin Hayes to start, for me, it seems as if people are in one position higher than they should be Mm -hmm. in this lineup. And I would circle Derek Broussard there. I mean, that's, that's the Hayes spot. Hayes comes back and pushes Broussard down. And everything just fits better. Essentially, what I'm trying to say is there's still question marks about heart bouncing back. I think the blue line's better. But what I do know is it doesn't look like that forward group outside of the first line, which I don't think anybody has any questions about at all. It just seems that after that, I'm not sure that everything fits for the Flyers to me just yet. Does it for you? Like the thing is, I look at it this way. In an 82-game season, Jeff, you're never going to have – how many times are you going to have your full lineup? I know, but don't you think the Flyers need a big start right away? Yeah, I think so. You know, We haven't got to two teams who I think are the two biggest question mark teams in this division. Washington, right? Pittsburgh, yeah. Yeah, so we talked about it earlier. I think Columbus does. I think New Jersey does because I, I think they could really build themselves something if they get a good start. I mean, Philadelphia, obviously. But like I look at Philly – not in the same way as like a Columbus jersey. I think Philly is another team where they attacked attitude, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, Chuck Fletcher has told people is that nobody escapes blame for last year. He doesn't, the coaches don't, and the players don't. And they made changes to the players, but, you know, they also asked the coaches to make changes in the way they dealt with things. And, you know, also the way that Fletcher deals with things. Like last week in the blog, I wrote about how Carter Hart, uh, he had a situation where his personal goalie coach is, Ed, is Dustin Schwartz, who coaches in Edmonton. Yeah. And his coach there, Kim Dillabaugh, he went on ice with them for two days in Edmonton in the offseason. It's the first time they ever did it. Now, Kevin Woodley, who's the goalie whisperer, I listened to a podcast he did, the Flyers Daily Podcast. And he talked last year about how Hart's base... Whatever Schwartz and Hart work on, whether Dillabaugh wasn't familiar with it or wasn't comfortable with it or couldn't fix it last year because there was so little practice time, he just got lost. This past season, you're right. Like for a lot of different reasons, environment just being one of them, it seemed like it got away from them. And, you know, again, I I still think, you know, I don't want to reiterate what I said in our last conversation too much, but I still think too there's some elements of his game that to me didn't look the same either from the guy that you know, I grew up watching and, and predicting big things for. I thought there were things he got away from as his foundation. And so you almost need a reset of both, in my opinion. And again, this whether Kim and Carter agree with it will affect whether he goes back to the things he did in the summer or tries new things. 
but a reset of his foundation. And if you're resetting the system, getting him to trust that is going to be a big part of this. And, you know, honestly, it's going to have to start out of the gate. And as I was listening to that podcast and I was doing my work about it, I was like, how come it took until this off season for those three guys to work together? And then another goalie coach said, well, how come the Edmonton's goalie coach is teaching Carter Hart? And I was like, because goalie coaches are nuts. And he laughed and, and he just <laughs> said that. But like Philadelphia, I think top to bottom, they looked at everything they did in this organization last year as a team and said, we have to be better. Like we just were not fully functional. We weren't optimal. And, you know, for example, one of the things I kind of glossed over in the blog last week which someone said to me, do not underestimate how big a deal this was, is they talked about their communication with Hart, like how they talk to him and how he's informed of things. And like, I just think Philly did a really harsh internal deep dive on last year's season. And not only was it changes on the ice, but I think it's a lot of different things. And one of the things that I heard, and I asked Chuck Fletcher if the, well, about this, and it was true, he, he, he said, was that last year at the end of the year, you know, they told Konechny, you know, they could have traded him. Like, they had a lot of people asking about him, but they said, no, we, we believe in you, and we want you to come back next year and show us why we believe in you. And they said he showed up, and excellent shape and I'm not going to use the best shape of my life because I know everybody laughs at that but he said excellent shape and we asked him we said show us that we're right to believe in you and they're like he did and so I'm really curious to see how this team gets out of the gate to the Pittsburgh Penguins and to the Washington Capitals Penguins first by the way let me just say I hope Hayes is back as soon as he can. I'm really rooting for, I think we're all rooting for Kevin Hayes this year. Whole industry is. Yeah, I hope he gets back quick and has a great year. I Listen, I don't care if you're a, a Pittsburgh Penguins fan, a Boston Bruins fan, like, doesn't matter. Everybody, no matter what the rivalry is of the Philadelphia Flyers, everybody's cheering for that guy. And everybody should be cheering for that guy. Let's get to the, uh, the Keystone State rivals here, the Philadelphia Flyers. Pittsburgh Penguins. No Malkin until January. Crosby, we're looking at, what, end of October? I had Vic Tockett on my program last week, uh, who's now with TNT, and he brought up a really good point, and I asked Brian Burke about it, and he said, yes, that's true. Tockett said... Really, the Penguins outplayed the Islanders. I mean, you can play... I don't care what anybody says. If you watch that series, Penguins had a lot of great A chances, and um, obviously the Islander goaltenders were great, and uh, Jerry had a tough 10 days, so... I like what Hexie and Brian Burke, they didn't blow up the team because of that. Uh, yep. They kept the team relatively intact, just waiting for the big boys to come back. And I know Sully keeps those guys their head above water for about six, seven weeks. They're a team that should challenge for the, uh, the Metropolitan title. If we get a couple of saves and a couple of bounces, we're going on and we're beating the Islanders. Why are we talking about blowing it up? No Malkin, no Crosby to start. COVID situation with Zach Aston Reese and, and Jake Gensel. New faces in like Danton Heinen. What do you make of the Pittsburgh Penguins? Uh, Jeff, like, I don't have a good answer for you on this one. You know, one of the things people are talking about with Malkin is that, you know, if the Olympics weren't this year because he badly wants to play, what would his status be? Mm-hmm. We just don't have good answers on this team right now. 
Crosby is so important. Malkin is so important. So much goes through them. Like, I think this team's going to play hard, but their margin for error, especially at the start of the year, Mm -hmm. is going to be so small. So small. Crosby's going on the road trip to practice with them. That says to me he isn't too far away. And that's huge for them because I think the margin for error without him and Malkin is tiny for these guys. I really don't know what to expect from them. I have no idea. See, there's two teams. I'm with you. Like in the Metropolitan, there's two teams that when you try to figure out what they're going to be like this season, it's sort of like trying to squeeze a handful of jello. You come up with all these tortured references. Like, where do you come up with this stuff? No, but it's true, Ellie. It's true. Like, good luck getting a handle on who the Penguins are and good luck getting a handle on who the Washington Capitals are because I don't know. Like, I'm waiting flat out, just to be blunt, for the Washington Capitals to age out. But, you know, it, it's funny you said that because I'm watching them practice in their lines like, you know, you know, Samantha Pell and, and Tarek Al-Bashir yeah. and, and Tom Gulitti are sending out the lines. And, you know, when Ovechkin and Backstrom aren't there, it looks yeah. really weird. And you look at it and you say, OK, not only does it look weird, but what do we have here? And this is another team like you look at them as they come out the gate especially if Ovechkin doesn't start the season and you're looking at this and you're going, what do we have? Like, what is this? At some point in time, Kuznetsov, you have to think is going to be, look like more like 2018 Kuznetsov. At some point in time, you have to think that Samsonov is going to give you a full season of why you think this guy is the Ilya Samsonov that we've all talked about. And you probably need that right now. Mm-hmm. Are you going to get it? I do think that some of these teams in the Metro who might not be the favorites or the teams that we point at, like New Jersey, are looking at this and saying, if we can be strong out of the gate and those guys stumble out of the gate, that's our best opportunity to have something special happened to us this year. And I think they're saying we have to take advantage of it now, right now. By the way, Tuesday night, Jeff Merrick versus Carolyn Cameron for the Stanley Cup, Tampa Bay, Pittsburgh. Yeah, no Crosby, no Malkin, two-foot putt for your boy. Defending Stanley Cup champions, move on. (laughs) I am so rooting for you to lose. I know, Penguins are going to win like 6-1. to (laughs) Just come in and just whip them. Um, Okay, so that's the Metropolitan Division, Elliot. Quick break here on the podcast. When we return, speaking of taking a step back, one of the teams that many people are expecting to do just that, and maybe it's because no Krejci, no Rask and questions about the future of Patrice Bergeron. We talk about the Boston Bruins and the Atlantic Division in moments. Let's get a little Pacific, as they say in the Atlantic. And, uh, ooh, it's a bad joke. And talk about the Boston Bruins. Uh, no Krejci, no Rask. Questions about Bergeron. Is this his last season? Some new faces headlined by... Nick Felino and Eric Halla and Derek Forbort and the netminder Lena Solomark, four-year, $20 million contract. What says Elliot Friedman about the Boston Bruins? Is this the step-back season? 
I, I just think that their their culture is too good to be a step back season. But I am a little curious about goal. You know, who starts for them? If you ask people who've watched them play on pure merit, Swayman. Swayman deserves to start. 100%. Do they do that? No. Okay. There's 20 million reasons why they don't. Yeah, but you know what? I think Boston, <laughs> like to me, Boston is one of the teams that, you know, you can't fool the players. They know who deserves to be on a team and who doesn't and who deserves yeah. to play and who doesn't. If there's one team that might just say, you know what? Swayman deserved to play and he's going to play. Mm-hmm. I could see Boston being that team. That's one team that talks about a merit-based culture. I'm curious about that in goal. They just had two guys clear waivers, Moore and Wagner. Yeah. I'm always curious to see, like, how does that go through a room? How does that happen? Does it have any effect on the group at all? I think this is a huge year for Jake DeBrusque. Does he find a new level? I think the Bruins are going to be in it. I think they're too good to step back, but the the goaltending for me is a really interesting one until we... You know, we find out one way or the other on Rask. Mm-hmm. Is this just a bad preseason spurt by all Mark, or is there anything really to worry about here? Do you think we're going to be talking about Patrice Bergeron all season long for reasons other than his play, i.e. this is the last year for Patrice? I mean, we've been talking about listen, how many things this guy has put his body through, all the different injuries. Remember that Stanley Cup final where he was being held together, you know, by peanut butter and Band-Aids? Like, yeah. they're... they're no, we've been talking about his injuries going back to the Randy Jones hit in that game against the Philadelphia Flyers. We've been talking about Bergeron injuries and what he puts his body through and never complaining and consummate professional as close to a perfect forward as the game has seen in this generation. Are we talking about this being his swan song all year long? Well, the fact that he said he's not going to talk about anything until the end of the season in terms of contract, look, that's where we are. I do know at points in the last couple of years, people have wondered if we're getting there, if he would potentially leave money on the table and just go. Obviously, that never happened. But look, I I think we're on a year-to-year basis with him very clearly. Okay, so we'll stand by for the Boston Bruins and their future. Uh, Buffalo Sabres, I mean, the big... Like, there's a lot of stories with Buffalo. Nothing's bigger than the Jack Eichel um, situation. Talked to his agent on the radio show last week, and yeah. it was just sort of a lot of confirmation of things that Elliot we've talked about here on this podcast about talking to other teams that would allow the uh, ADR uh, type surgery. Talking about you know the MRIs that uh, Brisson has has had Eichel go through, and that's been shopped around to various NHL teams. None of it is coming as any surprise, other than it's just confirmation from the agent, Pat Brisson himself. Is there anything more with Eichel other than this idea that every day that goes by is a day that he's not getting his surgery? I think that the what's going on is. Quite simply, they're trying to see if they can facilitate a deal with a team that will trade for him and get the surgery. I think the problem is, you know, first of all, you need to clear cap room to make a deal, right? So I don't think that teams are necessarily going to take great players off their roster because I do think Buffalo is, we've talked about this, they're more interested in picks and prospects. So nobody's necessarily taking a great player off their roster but you're still shorthanding yourself if you do it. To me, if anyone's doing that deal right now, it's a team like Anaheim, but they're grinding away with teams that I might potentially be willing to do it. I still think, I still wonder 
if the solution to this is going to be, you know what? He comes back and plays for a little bit. We'll we'll see what the answer to this is going to be. But that presupposes that Buffalo is going to allow him to have the surgery that he wants, correct? Yes, but I just don't know how this is going to end any other way. If he's not going to get a fusion surgery, which he doesn't want to get, yeah. how else does this end? You tell me, how else does this end? I don't want to say in court. It, that doesn't help him now. No, it doesn't help him now at all. Other than he just goes and does it and breaches his contract. I don't even know, Jeff, if it's a guarantee they would consider that a breach of the contract that would get it. He could just get suspended. Like, nobody really has a good answer here, right? Mm -hmm. But if he's not going to get the fusion and, hey, it's his body, at the end of the day, that should be his choice, what's the only other outcome? You know, in terms of them on the ice, I'm excited to see Cousins. I really like him. Buffalo is one of the situations in the league I think there's a lot of teams this year that are really excited about their attendance and what it's going to be. There's a few teams I think that people are kind of worried about. I think Arizona they're worried about a bit. I think Buffalo they're worried about a bit. I've heard there have been some concerns about Chicago. I think Ottawa's one that they're worried about a bit after they open against Toronto. Like To me, how do you create excitement? You've got good young players again. How do you create excitement about that? To me... That's the biggest question for the Sabres is how do we get the focus back on the ice? It seems as if they're running a couple of different experiments on the ice as well. You saw Tage Thompson um, is now a center. That's center, yeah. With the Buffalo Sabres, there's been some speculation that Rasmus Dallin may take some shifts up front, not unlike what Phil Housley did with his Buffalo Sabres career once upon a time. The goaltending situation uh, with Craig Anderson and Dustin Tokarski is an interesting one. You know, the goaltender of the future is Uka Pekalukkanen, and I don't know that they don't rush him, to be honest with you, to sort of sell more of the future as you're trying to sell Dylan Cousins and Casey Middlestat and other young hockey players there. Like, just to be blunt, Elliot, this one, to me, looks like it has all the makings of maybe the worst possible season for a team in the salary cap era. You, you're really on this 16W. Remember the devil's old slogan of winning the Stanley Cup because 16W yeah. was their exit? Yeah. You're on 16 wins. I mean, you know, we'll see where it goes. But to me, that's what Buffalo has to do. They have to get the focus back on the ice somehow, on their good young players. Those are great fans, and you can't fool those fans. Honestly, it, it's tough for me to watch what's happened to that team, really. Listen, I grew up watching Sabres. I grew up as a fan of the French Connection. I remember, oh, right, the Sabre dance. So good. I remember you got Don Edwards and Bob Sove, that tandem. Like, I grew up Larry Playfair and King Kong Korab and Danny Gare. Like, I grew up loving, loving the Buffalo Sabres. I hate all this has happened to them. I can't stand. And to your point about the fans, like some of the best fans in the NHL, yep. hands down. Yep. And they've been false started too many times. Great fans, great people. I just wish better for that organization. Detroit Red Wings. Uh, the Jacob Verana injury really sets back what I thought was um, some plans to take a next step. Not saying they can't. I mean, they bring in, you know, you mentioned Adelkovic earlier on. Uh, it's Adelkovic and Grace is the battery. Nick Letty comes in. Pooh Suter comes in. Uh, high expectations for Mo Sider. You know, some promise being shown by Lucas Raymond. Uh, still waiting for Philip Zadina. 
to take that step. There's a high first round draft pick as well. Your thoughts on the Red Wings, Jeff Blaschel's team this season? Well, I think Bobby Ryan's going to get a chance to play for these guys too. It looks like he's going to get a contract. You know, I'm happy for him to keep his career going. With them, you know, I, I hope Cider plays a lot. I hope Lucas Raymond plays a lot. I want to see these guys play. That's another team like I'm, I'm looking at. They're not close. So what are you selling? Like, I think at least in Detroit, if you want to, if Eiserman wants to, he can at least sell, okay, here's our, our the first cornerstones of our next group are coming, right? Mm-hmm. And you can watch them. But other than that, I mean, I don't know what are you going to see this year. Like, you know, Bertuzzi, that was the guy Toronto wanted last year, right? That trade deadline, yes. Like someone was saying to me, go back and watch Iserman's presser on Bertuzzi. And he says, my family's vaccinated and I'll just leave it at that. And this is someone who's dealt with Iserman before. He says, he's telling you there everything you need to know. And that is that he doesn't like this and he doesn't agree with this. And the problem is it's an impossible trade to make right now. But... I think we know that what that means for his future unless his stance changes in Detroit. Mm -hmm. And the other one I wonder about is, you know, Larkin. You know, Larkin is two years away from unrestricted free agency. By the time they're good, he's going to be on the market. I'm curious to see what that's going to mean. So I think what Iserman's going to continue to do is he's going to try to build pieces. I think he has a plan. And it's to continue adding pieces and hope he hits with them. And you know what? The Letty move is a good one. A, for all the young D that's going to be around him. But two, come trade deadline time, you don't think Nick Letty's going to be in demand? Well, you always need guys who can shield young players. Like when it's really going, when you're having a bad night where you're losing like 5 nothing or something like that, you can say to your veteran, okay, you're eating this for our guys. Okay. And I understand that. Or when things are going badly, you can tell our young guys, okay, how do we deal with this? Like all of this stuff is important, but you're right. It's going to get them a lottery ticket or two when it's all over. Florida Panthers. Uh, let's do the Barkoff deal. Eight years, $80 million. It is all bonus. The AAV is $10 million. When Bill Zito first took over the Florida Panthers, going from Columbus to Florida, I remember the first thing, I think it might have been the first thing you mentioned here on the podcast. Job number one, do the Barkoff deal. Barkoff deal, done. Your thoughts on this one, which many, and I'm part of this chorus, I look at and I say, this looks like a good deal all the way through. Like, you know, there's some deals you look at and you go, ooh, first five years look good. Ooh, I'm not going to love those last three. I don't say that about any of the seasons for this Barkoff deal at all. This looks great. Yeah, I think it's a great deal. I, I do. And I also think that the owner there deserves a lot of credit because this is an owner risk deal. Like it's nothing for, I wouldn't say it's nothing. I, I, I don't like that, but it's, it's much less for Jim Dolan to do it in New York, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he's got the revenues. He can do that. But in Florida with the Panthers, that's a tougher deal to agree to. I'm not getting a lot of information on this, but I think ultimately, you know, they knew that this was what Barkov wanted. And it was the owner's call to agree to it. And 
Look, what have we seen from the Panthers over the last few years? It's up, down, spend, not spend, spend, not spend, spend, cut, things like that. Right. But I think the right time to spend is when you think you can win. Does anybody right now think the Panthers can't win? I, th- I think it would have been easy after Bobrovsky to say, I'm not doing this. But this is the guy you do it for. This is your captain. This is a guy you drafted. And we've talked about this, Jeff. He wasn't the consensus number two. But you, your franchise put its, its, am I allowed to say this? It's nuts on the line for Alexander Barkov in this pick. And it paid off. And you know him. You know he cares. You know he's in shape. You know he competes. That's the guy you step up and say, we're giving him this deal. And, and I think the, I think Viola deserves a lot of credit. And I'm seeing a lot of Panthers to win the Stanley Cup this year. I don't know if I'm going that far, but I think they're really good. And I wouldn't be surprised if they won the Atlantic in the regular season. Yeah, I just hope, you know, it's one of these teams and one of these situations, and you're right, you spend money when you're going towards the top of your winning cycle. There's no point in spending money when you're at the bottom of your winning cycle. You're trending upwards right now, um, had a great season last year. You're in the playoffs against your state rival. It didn't work out, but it really, to me, that playoff series, and then what we saw in preseason, specifically with the, you know, the the nature of, of Sam Bennett, you know, bumping into Andre Vasilevsky and what happened afterwards, like that's a signal that this rivalry finally is on. Yeah. And they have it. Those are going to be must-watch games this year. Must-watch. I'm not missing them at all. The one thing that I hope for with all of this, this is true of, of every team, but, you know, injuries are a reality of, of, uh, of contact sports. I just hope that Aaron Ekblad stays healthy all year. Yeah, I'm with you. That's the one guy. That's the one guy I say, please, for the good of... A, the Florida Panthers, B, that rivalry with Tampa Bay, just let Ekblad stay healthy. The Bobrovsky-Knight thing is going to be a fascinating one to watch as well. Knight's my Calder guy. I know, I saw that. Anything else you want to get onto about the Florida Panthers move on? Trendy pick this year. I know, they're the hipster pick this year. Go Cats. Montreal Canadiens. No carry price to start. We wish him and his family the best. Well, I want to read a couple of things here. So I got a couple of DMs from people, and they said I could read them as long as I didn't uh, say their names. Okay. I'm not going to say their names. But there's just a couple of people who reached out after Price. So, you know, I, I thought people should know this. This is from one direct message on Twitter. As an average dude, happily married, and a great father of two, I am encouraged by Carrie to seek help for the things that I struggle with that nobody knows about. On the surface, I do everything right in life, especially for my family's sake. This is still true, but I'm afraid to admit to the ones I love that I suffer in deep darkness when nobody is watching. If not for anything, and if it is all possible, I would like for that man to know his courage has affected my life tonight to take similar steps. Hmm. So that's one note. And here is a second one. Also, a gentleman who said, you know, please leave my name out of it. As a first responder with PTSD, seeing someone like Price seeking help helps me at least feel less stigma about being away from work. Wish I could say thanks to him and wish him well. Hopefully he'll hear this message. I don't know about Montreal as a team right now, but I thought it's really important to get those messages out there. You know, the most encouraging thing about the media conference for me, Jeff, 
was that Bergevin said he believed that things would be okay and better for Price and his family. I liked hearing that. So, you know, if the second part of this is that Price positively impacts others, Mm -hmm. I think that's what we all want to see, right? Absolutely. And we again, we wish the best uh, for him and his family and for other people that find themselves in a similar situation, but are bubble players. Players that don't have the confidence that if they take time away, they can come back and still have their spot because that's where most of us live, Elliot. I agree. As for the team, I honestly don't know what to make of them right now. You know, Price and Allen, I think, is one of the best duos in the league. Now it's Allen Montembeau, and, you know, I don't know if anyone feels as confident. You know, not having Weber there is a huge presence that's missing from that group. To me, the thing that the Canadians are going to have to realize early is that I was jokingly calling them Islanders light last year in the playoffs, that they got an identity and they stuck to it. They can't wait for that to show up this year. They have to, they have to be like we talk about Pittsburgh and Washington, like they have to start well. Yeah. Well, Montreal has to start up with that team first identity and go from there. Because if they don't and they get off to a bad start, it's gonna be tough. I, I don't know what to expect from them. You know, they have the positivity of Duran coming back, the concern about price, no Weber. I don't know if players follow this as much anymore, but the GM's in a bit of limbo. There's just a lot of things there I'm looking at, Jeff, and I'm like, I don't know what to make of all this. I don't think that changes the player's outlook as much as it does when you have a coach who's in the last year of his contract. I think that affects the player a lot more. There's still not a strong connection, I don't think, between contract status of the general manager and performance on the ice, other than the personnel that the GM puts on the ice, perhaps due to his contract status. But I, I, I don't think the players think about it. I don't think the players think about, oh, one more, one more season uh, of, of Mark Bergevin and his contract's done. I think they do think about that with coaches, though. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's fair. I think it's a fair take. But I really don't know what to make of them all of a sudden. Like, I think the team really believed in the Allen Price duo. Yep. That last year showed them, hey, it doesn't matter if Jake Allen plays more games in the regular season than Carey Price. Carey's going to be rested. We get into the playoffs. We go on a run, right? Mm-hmm. Now you don't have that. And, you know, everybody roots for Price and everybody wants to see Price back. I just wonder when you get on the ice and the game starts and you don't have this same duo how different is that going to be for Montreal? Listen, I like Jake Allen. I do too. I look at Jake Allen and I look at, I look at Jake Allen's career and I say one thing, he had a bad spell and it just happened to all be at home. What's the old saying? If you're going to have a bad game or a bad streak, make sure it's not at home. Gord Stelic, if you're going to stink, stink on the road. Stink on the road. Don't do it at home. I like Jake Allen and look at his career. He's a real good goal. And he's one of those goalies goalie. Like the one guy that the goalies all look at and go like, yeah, man, like that's a goalie. I got, I got a lot of time for Jake Allen. I I really think he's a good goaltender. Now, is he, you know, is the battery the same between him and Price and, you know, Allen and Montembeau? No, of course not. But I don't want anyone to sleep on Jake Allen because I think that's a really good goaltender. Ottawa, we risk (laughs) dating this podcast because when it comes out, the deal may have already been done can't talk about Ottawa without talking about Brady Kachuk. Did you watch our exhibition game on Saturday night? I did, Elliot. Again, with the open collar. Very uh, controversial. Well, you you know what? Uh, I I just like everybody to see the the sweater I wear (laughs) underneath the shirt. 
So did you hear my take on, on Kachok and the Sanders? Yes. So essentially, correct me if I'm wrong, your take on the, and this is towards the end of the game too, you said, look. If you, if, second intermission. Second intermission. You said something along the lines of, look, if he's not going to do the long-term deal, bet on your team right now in the next three years. You have a lot of good young players. Take your shot now while he's agreeing to that three years. That's what I would do. I see people saying, oh, well, if you only give him three years and have one year, he'll walk to UFA. You know, to me, that's loser thinking. That is you just saying that we can't make this work no matter what. The key thing is here, one, he likes playing there. Two, he's with guys he knows he likes playing with. Josh Norris, Drake Batherson, Tim Stutzla, Alex Formanton, all these guys up front, Shabbat on the blue line. He likes it. When he was drafted, he, he I don't think he thought he was going to like it. He likes it. Don't screw with that. You have to say, if you're Ottawa, we've got a good young team and we've got good young players and we have to bet that he's going to want to stay with this. And if you can't get him to budge, because I think this, I think they need a great start. There's always uncertainty. There's questions about the size of the ticket base. Get him in there and get off to a great start. Get him done by Wednesday so he can play by Thursday. That's what I would do if I was Ottawa. If I, I'd say, fine, three years, let's go. If you're not going to bend, we need you here. Uh, the Colin White injury hurts, yeah. um, but there have been some positive signs coming out of training camp, most notably Shane Pinto, who I think has turned a lot of heads. Yeah, very good. I should have mentioned him too. I think they're going to, I wonder if they're going to go out and get a center. I don't think it would surprise anybody. It makes too much sense. There's a couple of things about Ottawa that stand out for me. One, listen, that that top line, if they can get Brady Kachuk back in the mix here soon with you know Norris Batherson and Kachuk, that's real good. Stutzla continues to look better and better. And every time you see him, you see even you even saw glimpses on Saturday for each that game that you were working with uh, with David and Jennifer. Like every now and then, it's like okay, there's Tim Stutzla. Oh, he is so. You just good. know this guy's going to be fantastic. Alex Formanton, just straight line fast. Like just blazing speed. Nick Paul, such a hard worker. Connor Brown, still one of my favorite players. And I think you like Connor Brown a lot too. There's a lot of reasons to like Ottawa. I keep coming back though to big question marks in net. And I don't love the defense yet. I think one day this defense is going to be good. It's just not going to be anytime soon. Like it's not this season that Ottawa is going to have a good blue line. How do you see the sense? I'm with you on Murray and, and the feeling on that. He looks better. Like physically, he looks better. He's bigger. He looks stronger and bigger. I've always been jealous of him because he's a really skinny guy. And I haven't been skinny in 33 years. <laughs> so you're jealous of Matt Murray, 27-year-old NHL net miner who when he skinny goaltender. played junior hockey. I remember he used to say like, he would turn sideways and vanish. <laughs> but he, he, he looks bigger. He looks stronger. I, I like that a lot. You know, one of the other things, too, is, yeah, I agree with you on the D, but like I said, every team's flawed, and they're kind of starting over. Like, we're taping this on Sunday night. Like, to me, an Adam Brooks waiver claim here makes a lot of sense. DJ Smith. Yeah. Maple Leafs Association. To the Tampa Bay Lightning, the defending Stanley Cup champions who have had, you know, part of their arsenal depleted, uh, most notably the entire third line that we made, and for good reason, a lot about. But this is still a team um, that has Braden Point, that has Kucherov, that has Sorelli and Stamkos and Hedman and Sergachev and McDonough and the big one, Andre Vasilevsky. So where do you think they feel like they should finish in the regular season this year? I don't think they care at all. 
they don't give a flying you know what at a rolling donut this is the regular season they'll get themselves ready they'll they'll make sure they're in a good spot don't care just get in and then just say we'll deal with this but like i do think you're right and that line was funny. I, I was talking to Glenn Healy on uh, on Saturday night. And he's like, Tampa's going to win again. And I said, they they lost that line. And he's like, like you know how Glenn's like, <laughs> that line did nothing. And I'm like, come on. They've got some nasty guys there. You know, the the Belmars and the and the Perrys. Maroon. But those guys are yeah, maroon, but they're a little bit older. I don't know how much you're putting a lot of those guys in second line minutes, which is basically what the Gord Goodrow Coleman line was. So that's the one thing. Like, how do they deal with that all year? And that's a huge part of their identity. How do they reinsert that? That's my only question about this team. The only one I have. And I think that Barboulet is getting claimed. Like, that's a tough player to put on waivers. He's not getting to Syracuse. No. He ain't getting to Syracuse. I'll tell you what, you know, we're going to see a lot more of this year. We're going to see a lot more Ross Colton. And from what we saw last year, that's a good thing. He's a good player. And you're going to see a lot of Ross Colton playing probably beside Corey Perry. And I don't think anything's going to replicate that Gord line. But if you're trying to put together a third line that, that does some of the things that that line did, I don't know, man. Ross Colton, Corey Perry together, that's a pretty good start, isn't it? I think it's fantastic. Last team. In the East, last team in the Atlantic may end up the first place team in the division, the Toronto Maple Leafs. And we should probably start with to the in, with the injury to Ilya Mikheyev. Yeah, it sucks. That was a tough one. It's going to get announced on Monday, but I, I hear it's going to be a little bit. Yeah. Um, so then they had probably two guys they're going to have to put on waivers on Sunday, and they only did Brooks, and, and, and Mario basically got the job because of it. It's a tough loss for them because Mikheyev had so much to prove this year. I think he's pretty devastated by it. it. It really sucks. I'll tell you this. I like bunting. You know, Kasha, same question. Can he be healthy? Stay healthy. Yeah. Stay healthy. You know, I think Richie is kind of what they need. I think they're faster than they were last year, which is not insignificant. I'll tell you this. You know, we started this podcast with Carolina. We ended with Toronto. I just wonder if the goaltending is good enough. How Okay, when you look at a team like Toronto, see, one of the things that makes Tampa a freak, I think, is how great the goaltending is. And I've always wondered, if you took like a 9-12 or a 9-10 save percentage goaltender and plunked him on the Tampa Bay Lightning, how much would really change? See, my, my question about the Maple Leafs is, what's the magic number for save percentage? Normally you say, man, if you get a goaltender like the nine two fives, you know, you're talking about deep run in the playoffs. Can the Maple Leafs do it if the goalies are like nine ten? Do they have enough firepower? I think they do. I like Marner on the power play, what they've done with him in the bumper. Yeah, I like that's I like the spot for him, yeah. Uh, I, I like that too. Like I, I do think they have enough firepower. I do, but I just think they don't want that. Like this whole Amazon show is about Keith getting on them. Like you got to play a certain way. You got to play a certain way. You think they're going to be thrilled with shootouts all season long or that kind of way of playing all season long? To me, that show sends a message. Whether they intended to do it or not, that show sends a message of how they feel they should be playing. So what you're talking about, yeah, I can't imagine, Jeff, that's what they want. 
You know what? That Amazon piece, and we'll, we'll end on this, and part two of our season preview comes up here in a couple of moments. One of the things that I promised myself I would do to annoy you this season is borrow a phrase from Sheldon Keefe in the Amazon series, the All or Nothing series, and mention it to you until you punched me. And you know what that is? I got news for you. You don't have to think of anything new <laughs> to be annoying. I think you'll like this one, and I'm really going to annoy you it? with it. All your Stanley Cup habits. Uh, Every time I see you have a cup of coffee before a show, Elliot, that's a good Stanley Cup habit. No, but you know what? That's not going to bother me because I, I, I believe in that. <laughs> you don't understand? Like, I'm going to find your last nerve and pluck it like a fiddle with Stanley Cup habits. You know, you know, I, 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 I want to build it into our conversation every single day. That's not going to bother me. And I'll tell you why it's not going to bother me because I actually think the same thing about on air. Like, there have been times I go on air. And, of course, we all have bad shows. We all do. But... You know, you look at the matchup and you're like, oh my God, this game is terrible. And I, I'm like, stop. I have to think of this as game seven of the Stanley Cup final. Like, there's no other way you can prepare for it. So yeah. I like to call those Stanley Cup broadcasting habits. And I believe in that. Okay, that just grossed me out. Okay, maybe I won't use it so much. All right. Uh, good Stanley Cup habits. Good Stanley Cup podcast. A lot of good Stanley Cup habits in this podcast, Elliot. I uh, hope you enjoyed part one of our season preview. Taking Us Out is an artist whose style mirrors that of some of the biggest prog rock bands of the 70s. Steve Marion, stage name Delicate Steve, is a New Jersey-based guitarist and songwriter that's put out five solo studio albums over the last decade. But before all those records, Marion was a studio musician who appeared on albums by Paul Simon, Yesair, and many others. From his 2017 EP, Cowboy Stories, here's Delicate Steve with Peaches on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. (laughs) 